I said, can't be that big of a deal, right? Why should it be? America, less Christians. Muslims are the enemy. Well, that's true in most of America, but not in Silicon Valley, sadly. Sadly? You can be openly polyamorous, and people here will call you brave. You can put microdoses of LSD in your cereal, and, and people will call you pioneer. But the one thing you cannot be is a Christian. Do you think that given the uh, clear and complex influence that AI can have over uh, religious belief or that relationship, uh, will religious communities want to start to become engaged in the AI development or maybe innovation process more broadly? Is, this some, is there a convergence here in terms of the actual communities that are, that are motivated to create these tech technologies or to create religious communities? Yeah, it's... it's you know, there's a couple of different reactions to that. Um, so Heidi Campbell does a lot of a lot of work here, and like she's at Texas A&M, and um, you know, she says like there's religious organizations can look at technologies as sort of new, neutral conduits of information. Um, they can look at them as um, very threatening to their their sort of their their existence and as as and, and to the information that they provide to people. Or they can look at them as sort of like a, a missional tool to to achieve some goals, and you know she goes through a lot of different examples of where, you know, mostly religious organizations that try to restrict access to technology or dissuade um, their their flocks from from using technology are largely unsuccessful. Like whether it's a like a kosher cell phone or somehow like, you know, stay off, stay off of the internet, or there's like a God tube that, that, you know, that you, it just, it doesn't seem to, to work very well. And so, um, the, that, so that's one reaction. I'm sure there'll be a lot of, of that kind of, um, reaction to AI as well. It's just sort of stay away from it, um, on the part of a lot of religious organizations. Um, I think that would be, Expected and natural. Um, now, whether they're successful or not is is another question. I think, um, you know, some some organizations have looked at so like the AI and faith group that that I'm a part of. There's people from all different backgrounds, um, uh, both religious and non-religious, who who are who are you know interested in how these systems are being put together from an ethical perspective, and saying, hey, there are. There's wisdom encapsulated in uh, religions that could be useful in this way. Now, that's different than saying, I think this technology should be used to promote one religion or another. Um, uh, so, so that's another, that's another, there's sort of the stay away from it. There's the engage with it rel relative to the ethics. And then there would be the sort of use it to, to sort of further the cause of recruitment or, or mission. Um, and I haven't, I haven't seen anything, um, really specifically that, that where, uh, a, a, an organization has picked up AI, a, a religious organization has picked up AI and sort of worked with it and tried to develop a solution and get people to use it and sort of push it out there. 
In fact, like when we did one of the experiences in the research was for people to do internet searches uh, uh, for these with these questions that I, these sort of these these core questions that I had. And and surprisingly, there's very it was very little advertising even placed in in these types of uh, queries in, in these types of searches. And so it tells me that um, it isn't a very rich area that that churches and and religious organizations have invested in. Um, I was surprised, and as were my participants, by the sort of lack of investment in the space. So. Um, that's just a little bit of what 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 I saw and, and, and what I know about uh, organizations using it. We we saw something about Facebook, I think, right? Guys partnering partnering with religious institutions, right? But it seems like the demand might be lacking, at least in terms of the U.S. religious religious communities. Um, it almost I can almost imagine a world where AI is even more pervasive than it is now in providing us with services and helping us gather information. But that maybe for the religious communities that do exist in the future, um, this will be an area where AI has no data, where it is very hard for AI to engage or analyze this aspect of human behavior. I'm wondering whether you think that's a good thing or um, if that's even a possibility or if AI will inevitably take on some kind of decision-making role even in uh, religious life, I think it, it. I think it certainly will try to provide answers to questions for people. I mean, even now, if you play around with, um, you know, GPT three or you know other systems, like there, there, there's information there, um, and um, you know, where's it getting that information? Well, it's getting it from the internet, and most of the internet is, you know, has, you know. English-based content, Western-based content, you know, so, so there's inherent bias in the content, you know, and that's that's sort of like the the crux of the issue with AI in general is sort of what are, what are we feeding these systems? And um, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of religious information out there. I mean, I, 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 in particular, in my experiment, I avoided uh, crowdsourced uh, data, but, you know, Wikipedia, for example, if you were to go to Wikipedia, Lots and lots of information about different um, world religions, and um, however, most of it, you know, if you look at the contributors to Wikipedia, most of them happen to be, um, you know, uh, white Western males, and so you know, you you know, what what's written there could be accurate, um, but it also is likely to carry you know a, a particular uh, perspective, and so um, I think. Um, yeah, my concern would be more in terms of the, there, there is a lot of information out there um, and, you know, what, what's being adjusted and what's being prioritized, particularly if you think about like the, the, the sort of short sort of one shot answers that, you know, we've come to rely on for, in an attention engineering and in voice interfaces, um, you know, the amount of information and the sort of the context and the texture that, that can be given um, is, you know, is getting increasingly smaller. Um, and, and we're in sort of, as we, we tend to demand, um, less and less in a way, you know? And so, so yeah, so, so, um, I, I don't think, you know, and, and, and to the point of like continuing to avoid it, religious information, I mean, I, I don't think that's going to be, um, the case. Like, I think, I think it, it will be hard to sort of 
hard code or wall off these systems from um, from these areas, uh, and um, and in increasingly they they'll just get better and better at, at uh, generating natural language and and trying their best to, to again to try to keep us engaged. I think is probably uh, the design point. Shannon, you sound quite optimistic with the application of you know. Uh, some of these technologies and kind of how they can push us to be a bit more critical or a bit more willing to listen to other viewpoints. Um, and I'm kind of—I'd like to hear you talk about AI and faith and some of the work that's going on there that I think embodies some of that optimism, um, the goals that AI and faith has, and also um, how those goals get us closer to the best applications of you know our uh, AI and kind of nudging us into perhaps more consensus building. Um, I'm just curious how we get there and what, what what that work is looking like. Yeah, AI and faith is really, you know, it's it's sort of one part think tank. Um, it's, it's it's a collection of people who are interested in this, this subject area of the, the intersection of AI and technology with spirituality. Um, and, um, and then it's one part consultancy in terms of engaging with companies who want to talk about um, this area and then have some insight around uh, potentially the, the ethics um, that they're setting up inside of their organizations or that they want to apply uh, to their systems. Um, and it's one part sort of a, um, a media kind of company in terms of just putting out um, you know, newsletters and information about the space uh, to get people educated uh, and engaged. And the thing that is um, really great about AI and faith is the diversity of, of the, the members. You know, we have people from all sorts of different uh, backgrounds. You know, we've got religious officials, we've got former technology people, um, we've got, um, you know, legal experts and, and, and the like. And so um, really what we're, what we're trying to do is, is, is form a community um, in this space that's a great resource for companies uh, to turn um, and when they have, when they're, when they're posed with some of these questions, like, what are we, what are we going to do about religious information on our platform? What are we going to do about these questions when they get asked? Um, what are some considerations, um, for it? You know, a lot of companies publish, um, sort of a, uh, I'll call it like a platitudinal level, uh, set of guidelines. You know, we want to be transparent. We want to be protect privacy. Uh, we want to be fair. Um, but it's, it's sort of hard to, to get down to the, the, the layer of, okay, like I'm an, I'm an engineer sitting inside of a massive, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, company, and I have to make decisions sort of about how the algorithms are working. Um, how do we, how do we reach that person? How do we, how do we, um, how do we give them a set of tools, um, to, to sort of understand, you know, what's going on there? Well, I don't know. I'm just thinking about a, a reading we had a few, uh, that we had from a class where a lot of the technologists expressed that they felt like they were being asked by structurally, but by nature of their their roles, to uh, make a lot of these decisions that they felt quite uncomfortable with, um, and it sounded like it, to me it seemed like they were looking for more information. Um, and, and I don't know. I don't know if it's much of a question more than a comment, but I'm just kind of stuck. There was that IBM researcher famously that was tasked, I think, with setting the privacy standards for maybe, maybe it was like an email mm -hmm. and the, his boss just told him like, do the right thing. And he, <laughs> he, he said like, I, I don't know enough. Um, 
what did he, he said, like, I don't know enough about religion to do this job right now. He like took time off, studied religions and then like ended up never coming back to work. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. And like um, part of it is like if we're going to have a, some proper application to this technology, it sounds like we need more data and more information. And, and perhaps it, it could be an argument for even more surveillance. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, you know, how do we get to yeah, like how do we make our technology more perceptive and with more perspective as well uh, without also kind of arguing for more uncomfortable, you know, data mining. Religious life and spiritual life is quite personal. Um, and so, you know, I'm just kind of curious on, on how, how, how you all think about that and how you all kind of balance that line. Yeah, I think that there's... Um there are there are multiple kind of sort of ethical frameworks that can be used um, here. There's sort of a a, a top down uh, kind of ontological you know, view, which is like you know sort of the, the the classic sort of don't be evil, do the right thing. Kind of the, those kinds of, those those like I said, those sort of platitudinal level things. I think those every company should have those. Like they sh they should definitely sort those out, figure out what you know what what they stand for and what they. Um, what they um, want people at a very high level to carry around with them in their organizations. I think that's, that's useful. There's often also uh, a sort of a, a, a teleological kind of framework that has to do with consequences and sort of like, what are the consequences of sort of like the means justify the ends kind of thing, or, you know, as long as nobody gets, gets hurt as part of this process, it's okay. And, um, so there are other there are other frameworks that can be used there. I think, you know, one that is, um, you know, often also used is like a virtue model where like a particular founder or set of founders at a company says, this is what I believe. And I think we should kind of try to, you know, um, that should be embodied in the work that, that we do. Um, you, know, you know, obviously, like religion and spirituality seems to that seems to be a carve out typically in, in that in that model there are very few leaders that, that sort of weigh into this space um but i think you know there's for me that like you like you were saying that i don't know that it necessarily has to be more uh surveillance but i do think there should be some some aspect of of looking at um you know how do people feel you know, qualitatively after using this. So there's lots and lots of studies and work that companies do about testing their products and sort of, you know, which direction should we go and um, how, how should we use, you know, how should we implement things? I think there should be something akin to like a, a drug trial around AI where, where, where people like real people need to use the system. They need, we need to see if there are side effects, you know, from this, from using it. Um, you know, are, are people more anxious after using the system? Are they happier? Are they sadder? Like, you know, what, what those, those things are, um, we know how to test for that. We know how to evaluate that. Um, and, um, in some sense, I feel like we need that kind of a structure around, around this tool because it's so intertwined with, um, human interaction, human psychology, you know, brain chemicals, all of the like. I think these these are things that we need to um, develop a perspective on. And it's, you know, it's these aren't things that companies want to hear or they don't want to do. You know, I, I think it's um, um, but it is work that that we need that we need to look at. I mean, at the end of the day, we need to figure out whether these systems are 
um, detrimental or, or, or helpful. And, and, and we need to look at it. You know, I think, um, you know, we don't want this to become like, uh, you know, oh, we didn't know smoking was bad for you. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't, we, we shouldn't be, be caught in that, in that position here. Mm. I'm just fascinated by the idea of using emotional response, um, as a metric, um, for, for AI. Uh, because so many, uh, you know, uh, privacy bills in Congress today, uh, privacy laws elsewhere in the world, um, they'll require, you know, continuous assessment for validity. Uh, but that, that'll often be based on the integrity of the data, the different data sources, um, and then providing basic control rights to the individual about that data itself. But we don't really look at... Um, how, for example, certain misinformation campaigns make people feel. I think that this is more of a trend. Like, I think there is more of this going on now. I, I read something about Apple implementing um, metrics that can automatically detect when people are showing signs of depression on their phones. Oh, yeah. There was also, like, those internal documents leaked um, within Facebook, like, within the Instagram team of, like, how Instagram affects young teens. So I think that people... But, but it's always after the fact, right? Mm -hmm. So... After there's a pretty good hunch that we're not ex particularly excited about. <laughs> yeah, but to to include that that information into our metric for validity or for the you know the trustworthiness of AI, um, that seems profound to me. Yeah, it seems like we could expand that beyond a religious context. Um, you know, I I think unless anyone else has any more comments that we have. Uh, this, this, you know, thank you so much, Anna, for coming. Uh, we uh, we still have a lot more questions, but we, we, we try not to keep our listeners too long. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining the conversation. This was this was incredibly insightful, and I, I feel like we, we 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 hopefully shared a little bit of new knowledge with the world. You know, maybe happiness has a metric. <laughs> yeah, Shannon, thank you, and your research is um, very special. Yeah, yeah, that's in our in our view. So thank you again for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So welcome back to, well, just us on the periphery. It's us again. <laughs> uh, great conversation today. Super interesting. And honestly, like a very, I found it super refreshing to sort of have kind of this more humanistic conversation about some of the innovations that are happening. What did you, what did you guys feel? Well, I thought it was really interesting how he perceives, how Shannon perceives AI and, and these digital assistants as also a way for people to really further reflect on their own religious beliefs and to engage with a source of information, um, a source that might be tailored to their specific beliefs, um, but also to learn more about just other religious beliefs as well. Like I thought his comment about kind of um, the root of misunderstanding between religions or even conflict often being ignorance. I, I think that that is very true. And I think if these tools can be used in that kind of educational way, almost as kind of a spiritual companion for you to um, reflect in different stages of your life, I think that could be really powerful and useful. Mm. And on the other hand, he mentioned how AI technologies today, the online environment today, is um, attention-oriented, that is designed to grab you and to make sure that you're... Um, that, that has your attention and it has your eyes uh, for as long as possible. And uh, one way to do that, in fact, perhaps the most effective way today, is actually by exacerbating conflict. 
which is um, the danger. You know, talking to him made me think back to uh, the years after 9-11 when um, Islamophobia in the United States reached a huge peak and we were seeing hundreds of hate crime cases. And I feel like if we had the AI systems we had to, we have today back then, I just feel like it would have been even worse. This goes so much more to um, designing AI uh, and orienting them completely differently from the, the way we do today if we want to prepare it to engage uh, with us religiously. We talk about religion, but to me, the biggest takeaway was all the different applications that this can have to have these uncomfortable conversations so long as it's, you know, when we're asking the proper questions of who's developing the tech and for what reasons. Um, uh, I'm kind of thinking, uh, there's a statistic, I think it was like, for every white person to have a black friend, it would, every black person would have to have like eight white friends, or eight white friends. It'd be like totally, it'd be huge load. And <laughs> like all of, last year, <laughs> all of last Such year, Such a burden. All of last year, there was like all these conversations about like, do you have black friends? Like all these things are markers of, you know, evidence that you're having these hard conversations that we like, that we wanted to have last year during like all these racial awakenings with Asian American communities as well as black American communities. That when you look at the numbers, it's a bit difficult just on a, on a number basis to have those conversations with people you trust where you can um, be comfortable enough and have the, you know, trust to actually find consensus and understanding. And I'm just thinking about the times where I got 20 million calls all of, all of last summer. It was so draining because I was the only Black person people knew to ask these questions. Um, and I was really encouraged that people wanted to learn and listen. But I once oftentimes felt out of my depths. And I oftentimes just felt a bit drained because uh, here I am experiencing these events. But how awesome would it be if there was, you know, Alexa designed with a ton of, you know, social scientists, X, Y, and Z, and, you know, educators, and, you know, just like a really broad way to get some authority in our Alexa, where it's like, I can ask a question just saying, what is here? And at least be pointed to more nuance than, you know, um, where you get, where if I'm asking an uncomfortable question, there, it's not going to be met with an emotional response that may be, might be warranted, but nonetheless, an answer would potentially get you closer to a consensus building. Yeah. Mm, mm. So, just, yeah. Uh, we mentioned in that, um, in, w in our conversation, uh, the Eliza effect. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of goes to trust, mm -hmm. which is that trust in machine to human interactions is weird. Because, um, you know, back back in the 70s, a guy named Joseph Weizenbaum, he created a, a, it's just a simple software program, not artificially intelligent in the way that we would describe it today, uh, called Eliza. And basically, people would type in a, a, a comment like, my mother is making me angry or something. And Eliza would respond with a basically pre-programmed generic response, like, tell me about your family or why do you feel angry? And um, it turns out that People gravitated toward this software so much that they told it their deepest, most personal uh, secrets and information that they would never actually tell even a therapist. The reason why was not because they knew that Eliza could understand them because they couldn't and they knew that, but because they never trusted that they would not ever trust someone who had the actual capacity to understand. Yeah, I mean, we I think we're in an interesting position right now where we are quite ambivalent towards these technologies, right? These artificially intelligent entities, where on the one hand, I think we're all clear about the fact that it's just, that it really just comes down to code and it's just running a series of calculations, really. 
Um, but on the other hand, there's a kind of mystery to it. And, and I think what was interesting, um, what was interesting that Shannon mentioned was that people are always trying to find a way to ascribe meaning to it, to interpret it. And so it's, it's got this almost kind of enchanted nature as well, although it's just code. But then again, code could be enchanted because it's doing all of these unpredictable things and drawing all of these conclusions and making calculations beyond what most people can understand. So I think it's just a really interesting ambivalence that's going on right now with these, with these kinds of digital assistants and artificially intelligent entities. And as they get more powerful, I think our, our ambivalence will only grow. Yeah, it is mystical to the extent that it's mysterious to us. And that, like, also, too, we talked about like the singularity and how it there's a lot of crossover with the idea of the singularity and like the apocalypse or like the second coming and like how this the, the singularity being the time at which like technology advances and becomes so sophisticated that it's uncontrollable, um, that it, it controls itself. Um. Hmm. So I'm seeing kind of two dynamics here, I think, which is one, uh, the potential for AI with religious knowledge um, to uh, strengthen interfaith dialogue, to promote interreligious understanding, um, because perhaps we may be uh, in a position to trust AI to give us interesting spiritual or religious knowledge, more so perhaps than we would actually have engaging with a religious leader from a different religious group. Even though at some level they're still doing that interaction because the religious leader will be inputting the information. Yes, (laughs) yes. But also perhaps the AI would be attuned and learning from the particular spiritual beliefs of individuals. Uh, On the other hand, uh, Shannon mentioned how different cultural and religious contexts actually manifest uh, their technology differently. That, for example, in a Japanese context, they're much more physical and analog with their machines. That they are gravitating toward um, a, uh, a robotic priest uh, named Mindar. And um, on the other hand, and I guess in a more Western context, we're used to the disembodied voice, as, as Shannon described. That we kind of want this kind of otherworldly or uh, disembodied form to our religious authorities. Um, yeah. Those two dynamics, I think, are both at play as we, as AI t- tries to grapple with religion. And it will try to eat religion, you know, just as it tries to eat everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say, I'm not sure I'm that satisfied. Like with, I, I think this conversation is really interesting. And I think that, especially because like not a lot of people are talking about this, like religion and spirituality in Silicon Valley. But I just feel like there's a there's a bigger issue, at least when I think about artificial intelligence and I think about religion, like I'm thinking about like ex machina. I'm thinking about like we we've arrived, like we've got this super intelligent machine. And the issue is not like, oh, well, how will people feel about the fact that Siri told me that like life is meaningful or not meaningful? It's like, no, you there is a machine and it's making decisions. And how is it making decisions? and what values are built in to its decision-making process. And like that, it's really, it's a twofold problem. Like there's the technical problem of how are you going to assign values for a machine to help it make decisions? Because like, if, if a machine is making decisions based on, if it's like goal oriented, it's got like some goal that it's supposed to use to make decisions because presumably there are too many potential possible hypotheticals for us to like pre-code everything it's supposed to do for the rest of forever. How could you possibly, how could you possibly train a machine 
to keep that one goal in mind when you have to explain that goal in computer language, which like fundamentally roots back to math. Like we can't even, we can't even agree in our very robust many languages what like happiness is. Like there's no, there's no consensus. I just think it's impossible. Well, <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's impossible, but I, I don't know. I'm so curious about like how this would be done, frankly, because I think it would be so hard to do this. I don't think it's being done. And yet at the same time, we're pursuing this superintelligence, right? We're like, presumably there are researchers trying to achieve AI, like true, genuine artificial intelligence. And so first of all, how could you possibly train it with values? And second of all, <laughs> I think, and this is like part of what Shannon was talking about, what are we gonna, how are we gonna decide what the values are gonna be? Like who gets a say, which, which religions and in what, in what way are we going to describe like what things are good? Because sometimes value systems conflict. Like, are we, are we gonna like program it with like a categorical imperative, like a la Kant, or are we like gonna, or is it gonna be a utilitarian machine? Like, I just think these are the things that like, I think frankly, like I'm interested in because like they totally freak me out. <laughs> I mean, it, I kind of feel like that's also, uh, to some extent what he's getting at is like, you know, our values are, you know, we're there, you know, we are there. It's not like we're where we're where or we're already there to a place where I don't really think it matters if we're going to reach true AI or not. Our interaction and how it's affecting us is perhaps not, not going to be even more effective. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're sincerely affected in large yeah. ways that we're learning more and more about as more research gets done. So I'm like, we're already kind of there. So, so I mean, I think you're right. Like, it is pushing us in these ways. So we should be thinking about like. Uh, we should be having these conversations about how are our values actually embedded because they are. And I don't think we know how because this is yeah. this mystified little <laughs> equation. And then how do we get our actual values embedded? Is it technical or is it how we actually approach our relationship with technology? Is it, you know, I'm not convinced that we need to be genuinely AI um, to have being, being already affected by you know, yeah. the, the the big booming man that's to come. I'm not saying we're not affected. I'm just saying, sure. imagine like that, like far, far in the future, like we're, this is a dystopian hypothetical. AI is the government. And so they make laws and like, they're nothing like, maybe there's something like the laws we have now, but maybe like just start from a blank slate. Yeah. Like who, like it is going to presumably decide what those laws are because it's like so smart and has all the information and can make the best decisions. But fundamentally it has to trace back to like some rooted goal or value that is so abstract, but it's going to eventually have to come to on its own unless we're gonna preemptively decide what it is. But we can't agree on what it is. I think, um, and this, I think our conversation with Catherine Romero uh, from Microsoft, I think, is instructive in this regard also. I think one point that she made that I found interesting and uh, that I think applies to the situation is that AI and the kind of systems that we're um, going to be putting out into the world, they're never a finished product. They're always evolving. Yeah. So it's always an iterative pro process. We're never, we're never going to say, now we have completed the process of you know coding this entity and now it's going to go out into the world and all of its actions are going to be completely predictable. They're not going to be completely predictable because it's always going to be learning and it's always going to um, going to change based on the based on the data intake. And so while I think it's important for us to kind of have the conversation about like what are some of the basic um, values that we want AI to pursue, 
I think that ultimately some of this will also just be beyond our control. And I think we're going to kind of be adjusting as we go, um, kind of like we did with uh, nuclear weapons. I don't think we really knew what it meant um, when nuclear weapons first came onto the scene. I don't think we'd kind of developed a coherent ethical framework of how to deal with that situation. We kind of just, uh, we kind of just, you know, um, I, w- I don't want to say figured it out, but we kind of adapted to a new situation and then developed a framework. Um, so I think it'll probably be similar with AI where um, we will just have to also be flexible and and be willing to to adapt to this new situation. Yeah, I guess like, sorry, I'm being so annoying about this, it's, but like no, scary, in the, like nuclear weapons, like at the end of the day, we still have the buttons, right? Mm-hmm. But like, this is a different thing. This right. is like the thing, the event. It's no longer like, in human hands. Right, it's just yeah. not going to be up to us. Yeah. Well, I think we've done it. I think <laughs> so we've bleak, on, but on like... positive note. <laughs> Didn't we say we were optimists before? We're optimists. We're it's, optimists. It's late in the season, you know. Um... Well, uh, as usual, we have uh, more questions at the end than we started with. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, so we hope... give us some I'm, answers. I'm, I'm sensing a theme here. Uh, but we hope that... Uh, you enjoyed the conversation as well, that you enjoyed hearing about Shannon's research uh, and that you have your own questions, which we would love to hear. So, uh, you know, please uh, give us reviews and comments. Uh, check out our Patreon as well, where we have a lot of interesting uh, additional content uh, to continue this conversation. And we're looking forward to seeing you next time. Yeah.